Today, we're going to exhibit a dry wit, a very dry wit. I'm Kevin Leeson. California draining on such a summer's day. I'm Torn Atkinson. Planning on living in Jamestown Colony? I drought you can make it. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is Caustic Soda. The word origin of drought comes from Old English drugath or drugoth. Drugoth. Is that they call it drought because it's like de rufty? It's like, you know, the ground gets all de ruftied up. Oh, de ruft? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Drugoth uh, or drugath uh, in Old English means drought, dryness, or desert. So it was a word that kind of meant all okay. of that together. Uh, and it comes from Proto Germanic drugothaz. Sounds which, like ooh. a D&D. Monster. It sounds sure. like a dragon's name. Yeah. I am Drugothaz. Yes, it does. No, it sounds like a monster, the Drugothaz. Oh. That when it, it's like, a, you know, one of those like uh, creepers or on the ceiling or on the floor. Oh, the lurker above or the, the lurker, lurker below. Yeah, exactly. When you step <laughs> yeah. on it, it like, you know, gives you a hallucinogenic a oh, Drugothaz. Oh, the Drugothaz. Okay. It yeah. just emits a, a, a vapor cloud of yeah. THC. Yeah. Or, uh, or LSD or whatever. Or LSD. Yeah. There's, there's different uh, species yes. of Drugothaz. Of course, of course, you get, of course. You know, there's the red drugothaz, the green drugothaz. Yeah, precisely. Some of their, them are incredibly addictive. Uh-huh. Others are just kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Phobias. Uh, we mentioned, I think, in deserts, xerophobia is the fear of dryness. That's with an X. Mm-hmm. Oh, xerophobia. Well, zero xerophobia. Mm-hmm. I'm we, afraid of nothing. Now, I'm be, not afraid of nothing. I'm a xerophobic. I'm you're, afraid of. You are afraid of nothing. Uh-huh. Afraid of spelling zero with a Z. <laughs> <laughs> or a Z, if you're not in Canada or uh-huh. the UK. We've mentioned drought in a bunch of episodes before. I've got a couple of examples here. Uh, we mentioned it, of course, in the famine episode, our Four Horsemen famine episode, because yeah. famine is a pretty obvious direct result of drought. Mm-hmm. We noted that a, the series of droughts lasting over 100 years was a major factor in the collapse of the Mayan civilization. We mm-hmm. talked about that a bit. In our Wildland Fires episode, the 1983 Southeast Australian bushfires followed years of extreme drought. Uh, We mentioned quite a bit about that. And in Ecoside, we mentioned the Dust Bowl drought, uh, Mm -hmm. which in the U.S. came in three waves, 1934, Mm -hmm. 1936, and 39 to 40. It's ironic that a drought comes in waves, isn't it? Tsunami. (laughs) A tsunami of dust. A tsunami of of not water. A dust-nami. Yeah, yeah. So in that, Torrin mentioned the land management practices or mispractices that left the topsoil susceptible to forces of wind Mm -hmm. and how the great clouds of dust and sand were so thick they concealed the sun for several days and were referred to as black blizzards. I love that. Yeah. I think we talked about the fact that that is a uh, Marvel superhero from the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Black blizzard. Or I think it was a... Because everything, it all had to be black lightning, black blizzard, (laughs) black panther, black, it all, black everything. Everything had a black version. Right. Then he takes his mask off, and it's a white guy because he's got dust cloud powers. Oh. It's like, no, mm. I was trying to, I'm sorry. Yeah, you should probably like keep the black out of the title under those circumstances. Well, he, he learns now <laughs> yeah. once he was unmasked. Uh, a drought is a period of below average precipitation in a given region, resulting in prolonged shortages in its water supply. A drought can last for months or years, or may be declared after as few as, anybody want to guess how long? Six Very hours. Well. Six-hour drought. The minimum? Minimum number of, I'm going to say it's days. Days? Oh, I don't I get know. That. I get Every once in a while, I go like six hours without drinking something. I get that cotton mouth. Isn't that a drought? I'm going to say. That's alcoholism. <laughs> I'm going to say, how many days in February? 29. 20, 29. Or 28. 28 or 29. I'm going to say 28. Okay. All right. 
Kevin, you say six hours? Uh, it's actually 15 days. Oh, okay, uh, two, two weeks plus a day. All right. So the causes of drought, it's, you can kind of, these are kind of obvious, but I'm going to go through a few of them. Uh, precipitation deficiency, of course. If it right. just doesn't rain enough, there's going to be a drought. Yeah, of course. Uh, there are a couple of... Uh, well, you know, snow is precipitation as well. It is, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of mechanisms of producing precipitation. Convective, which is a quick rising of air, which mm-hmm. produces lots and lots of rain. Uh, stratiform, which is the slower rising of air. Mm-hmm. And orographic, which is when the air orographic. goes... Orographic rainfall mm-hmm. is when the air gets pushed up a mountainside side to go up and when it goes up it has to dump that water and, and it causes oral graphic are some websites that i've stumbled across mm-hmm. oral graphic yeah. oral graphic mm-hmm. uh, if these factors do not support precipitation volume sufficient to reach the surface over a sufficient time the result is a drought uh, i couldn't find any examples but i remembered hearing about how in some places specifically deserts it would rain but mm. it would it would evaporate before it hit the ground because mm-hmm. it was so hot. That's oh, a thing. So wow. that's really the that you can kind of call that precipitation. But if it doesn't hit the ground, it doesn't count. <laughs> that's uh, pre precipitation. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <Yes, yes. laughs> but, but if you you know if you're in like a hang glider or something, you get a real steam bath that way. Yeah. yeah. Drought can be triggered by a high level of reflected sunlight and above average prevalence of high pressure systems, winds carrying continental rather than oceanic air masses, and ridges of high pressure areas aloft can prevent or restrict the developing of thunderstorm activity or rainfall over one certain region. You'll hear on the the news how this system has stalled, and a part of that system might be especially dry, and if it stays over one place, drought. Uh, once a region is within drought, feedback mechanisms, such as local arid air, hot conditions, which can promote warm core ridging. Oh, yeah. I, my core is quite ridged. <laughs> it's not a six-pack, though. It's like, it's... Ridged? Uh, Hold on. Ridged? It's, yeah, it's all yeah. the layers of fat. Oh, okay. Ridges. It creates of, ridges. Oh, your, yeah. your stomach looks it's, like a Klingon head. It, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. uh-huh. Okay, I got it. You get the six-pack, and then it gets smooth, and then you get a kind oh, of six-pack you know, again. Whenever yeah. I saw you playing on stage with the darkest of the hillside thickets, I thought you had one of those, like, stick and uh, wooden things. Aguiro. Aguiro. Yeah. But evidently it was just you playing on your yeah. stomach with like spoons or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's my rock hard belly fat. Oh yeah. Okay. Got it. Dry seasons, of course, there are different places in the earth that uh, will have actual dry seasons. They emerge due to the movement of the intertropical convergence zone. The intertropical convergence zone. That's where yeah. the mutants live. Oh yeah. oh yeah. It definitely sounds like, uh, you know, somewhere you'd send uh, General Zod. Or, yes, Uh (laughs) or you might have to General Zod goes there on vacation. Yeah, and Snake Plissken has to go in there once in a while and bring out somebody's daughter. Yeah. So the Intertropical Convergence Zone, I found this amazing website. Uh, Everybody should go check this out. I'm going to put a link up at causticsodapodcast.com, but you can just type it in yourself. It's earth.nullschool.net. That sounds like like an evil villain yeah you know, super school. villain you know his website about how he's gonna you know eradicate life on earth so this is a really fantastic uh kind of globe or you can look at different types of maps animated display of the current winds around the world you can actually see the computer on here's a little slow but you can actually see where the cyclones are forming in certain places and this is all updated as quickly uh, as possible off of every five seconds of, uh, I don't know how often, but like if I click this, source GFS, NCEP, and U.S. National Weather Service, uh, this is from an hour and 20 minutes ago. So that's how quick oh, what so we're So not every at. five seconds. Not every five seconds. But it's super interesting. You can do all sorts of cool overlays. And the intertropical convergence zone is this bit right here where the trade winds meet up. Okay. And you'll even see where these two forms of winds, and if you want to look at this, it's the part east of, of Central America. 
And there's just where these two winds are meeting, and right where they meet, there's this still spot. And seamen would call that the doldrums because it was known right. to go completely still at times. Right. Uh huh. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of the, when, when the you're equatorish a, area. Yeah. 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 When you're in a sailboat, doldrums are not good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. El Nino also has a very big effect on uh, drought. During the El Nino Southern Oscillation, the surface temperature of the tropical central and eastern Pacific Ocean fluctuates between the El Nino, the warmer, and El Nino, the cooler phases. Got it. During that El Nino phase, several areas are warmer and drier than average, including the northwest, northern Midwest, and northern Mideast United States during winter. So those regions experience reduced snowfalls. Oh, and that often leads are cursing the Nino. Right. The problem that causes the drought very often happens much, much earlier, like, you know, almost no snowfall during some kind of dry winter. Mm-hmm. And then that area is kind of expecting to get a lot of river runoff from that melting snow, doesn't get it, might get slightly less rain. And all of a sudden you've got this drought because there's just no water. Showing oh, up it's a slow anywhere. burn. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, not a slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of yeah. a slow burn. Uh-huh. There are all sorts of other places around the world that have warmer and drier climates because of El Nino being on. There are some others that are uh, cooler and wetter. For instance, uh, California has been experiencing a drought recently, and the El Nino actually brings wet weather up to there. And they've actually, in the past couple of weeks, actually got a pretty good dousing for the first time in, I think somebody said five years. Yeah, yeah, there's some flooding. Yeah. Soft flooding. They're pretty. They're kind of happy about that, though, because it's been going well, on for a careful long what you time. Wish for. Unless we California, your, your car was parked on the bottom uh, story of a parquet yeah. that got flooded, and then yeah. Was, uh, you know, yeah, that's well, true. I didn't care for that much. Uh, wind erosion is is much more severe in arid areas and during times of drought. For example, in the Great Plains, it is estimated that soil loss due to wind erosion can be as much as sixty one hundred times greater in drought years than in wet years. That's more than six thousand. That's mm. slightly. Yes, <laughs> one hundred more. What about a wind direction? Uh, I don't have any data on that. Okay, all right. I think I might have had one when mm-hmm. I was younger, and that was enough to get it going, but it's been a while since <laughs> okay. the wind it's has not, turned yeah, me Yeah, you don't really fashion. have a hard on but just the wind is just so powerful that it points your dick straight up. There you go. A dick gust. <laughs> it's the wind direction. I, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on to you, Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> going to have to get a windsock for your cock. Uh-huh. Climate change, of course, results in uh, droughts. Activities resulting in global climate change are expected to trigger droughts with substantial impact on agriculture throughout the world, especially in developing nations. Mm -hmm. However, global warming actually will increase in overall increased world rainfall Okay. uh, on average, much like El Nino. Some places are going to get dry. Some places are going to go wet. In average, it's actually going to increase the rainfall because the hotter it gets, the more you evaporate. Right. Right. So the more there is in in the air that can then fall down. Along with drought in some areas, flooding and erosion will increase in others. Hmm. So right. those are the possible causes. So of it's drought. sort of like a scales of justice situation. Like every every there's a region that goes up and a region that goes down. Like right. there's almost like this kind of like you know equal and opposite sort of uh, Newtonian bullshit. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, you know, like in order for you to have a drought somewhere, you've got to have more rainfall somewhere else. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Right. Or because or okay. that, that water's got to go somewhere, or it just yeah. hasn't evaporated yeah. to get up in the air, so it's there. It's something that you don't think about, but it like makes perfect sense. I yep. mean, the uh, the ecosystem kind of just has a certain amount of condensation in it. It's this, like, yeah, yeah. 
This right. is pretty eye-opening because a lot of this is just people Because of the are, wind? Because of the dust and the wind? Well, you I would, to, I would want to close my eyes. Oh, okay. Ah, that's, that dust. would be eye-closing. It's true. But what it is is like people are just living their lives. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. We're all set up, normal lives, growing our crops. Everybody gets enough food. All of a sudden, through no fault of anybody, yeah. just all of a sudden, you've got half as many crops. Right. Right? Oh, another thing that we didn't mention was actual mismanagement can lead to droughts. Mm-hmm. Right. Because uh-huh. there are places where they might have enough water and or food but they're still exporting it so that because of the exports, they now have less than they need there. I'm going to tease the fact I'm going to talk about this in pop culture. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Droughts can lead to wildland fires destroying valuable timber resources. Of course. It's mm-hmm. hot and dry. Uh-huh. Droughts can dry up hydroelectric power generators. What? For, oh, really? Yeah. For example, California's electricity for the state's millions of users is normally produced from a blend of many sources with natural gas and hydropower being the top two. Okay. In an average year, California's hundreds of hydropower stations provides 18% of its needs. Comparatively, with this three-year drought period's reduced river flows, comprised less than 12% of California's Oh, so like California they've lost generation. a third of their power yeah. from that source. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we're sending all, we're piping all the power down from BC to them. Yep. Uh, to make up for this, natural gas is becoming a more prominent player in the mix. And according to the Pacific Institute's report, between October 2011 and October 2014, California's ratepayers spent $1.4 billion more for electricity than in average years because of the drought-induced shift from hydropower to natural gas. Because hydro's cheap, right? right? You just put up a thing and turbines and gravity and all that stuff makes it all move. And <laughs> you just kind of keep did, it going. You just hand-wave gravity? Yeah. Yeah, turbines and gravity and all that how stuff. How else do you do gravity? Yada, to, yada, yada. You want me to explain how gravity works? Because I don't think anybody's <laughs> no, exactly I just, uh, I just literally watched you hand wave it. Well, that, know, was, the that, was the, that was the evaporation and precipitation oh. cycle that I was waving in my head in, in the air. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shipping in water, of course, is expensive. Uh, India has, has been known to hire thousands of water delivery trucks to head out to their rural areas when they have droughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, costs a lot of money. Uh, water transportation of goods suffers and food prices rise, of course. Oh, why? Because the rivers are low, so you can't get like boats through? Yeah, actually, that is one of the environmental impacts is oh. that because they go down, places that need rivers to get their food in and out have right. a hard time doing it because those rivers can dry up. Well, just don't count on the, don't count on the river. Yeah. Or get Proud Mary on it. Proud rolling. Mm. Rolling. Isn't, isn't rolling on the river. Yeah, well, Tina Proud. Turner will not be stopped by a drought. Isn't you know, it Proud Mary supplies. keep on burning, though? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's metaphorical. Okay. But the rolling on a river, that's literal. That's literal. literal. Okay, yeah. gotcha. You just got to recognize where the literal and metaphorical lines are drawn in the sand. Oh, or the riverbed. Oh, uh, I'm getting them all mixed up. <laughs> there are quite a few environmental impacts. Some are short-term, but uh, some, in many cases, can be permanent. Oh! Yeah, loss a of permanent dis- drought. Per- well, permanent environmental impact. So oh, the drought hits, okay. and then the damage it does, it doesn't species. recover from. Mm-hmm. For example, loss of fish and wildlife habitat. Like if there's okay. a lake where fish live in, and that lake completely dries up, you're probably they not just gonna, feet. They're not just gonna. It is like pop up from the feet. bottom Except of the lake. Those those land fish toads now. that hide that hibernate inside the mud. That's why oh, yeah. I said fish, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you might, might you got to genetically engineer those fish. Yeah, no, I, you just got to make them land fish. Oh, yeah. easy. Oh, you know? okay. Like those, Force uh, the evolution. You know, the people who make those land fish, I see uh, their little bumper stickers on the backs of their cars all the time, the little fish mm-hmm. symbol yeah, the, with the, the Darwin fish. Those are, yeah. those, are, yeah. those are genetic engineers. That, yeah, that, that's right. That's what that means. Yeah. That's right. I'm saving fish from drought. Yes, precisely. Lack of food and drinking water for wild animals, which leads to increased disease because as they're starving and thirsty their defenses go down Mm -hmm. both of these increase stress on endangered species and can even cause extinction right 
Uh, migration of wildlife, uh, more wildfires, as mentioned, mm-hmm. wind erosion of soils, poor mm-hmm. soil quality, because the top layer of soil is the soil that's good for growing right. it's things the in, and when it gets blown away. Another environmental impact is an increase in tumbleweeds. Tumble on with the tumbling tumbleweeds. And you might think, well, big deal, they just tumble around. Well, when you uh, get, Until they hit you in the face. Well, uh, I got tumbleweeded. Until they, oh, is that a verb? It is now. I didn't realize that. The latest U.S. drought, which began in 2010, has created tumbleweed troubles in parts of New Mexico, Oklahoma, mm. and Texas. Okay. Desiccated Russian thistle, Ooh. a woody leaf plant, and cochia, both invasive weeds from Eurasia, are the culprits. Cochia. In places like Colorado, herds of cattle would eat the tumbleweed, mm-hmm. helping to keep it in check. Yum, 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 yum. But, right. Okay. But many ranchers in recent years have had to reduce their herd sizes because of the drought. Right. And after the first winter freezes in November, the plants break loose and begin rolling with the wind. And I've got a photo here of some people trying to what? scoop up a what? huge pile of tumbleweeds. <laughs> and in the article... What? Yeah. Oh, this... this Okay. I actually, when I first looked at this photo, and everyone right. should go to CausticSodaPodcast.com and check out what I'm talking about. Yeah. I first looked at it, I thought it was a cloud of dust. Right. Like that it was like, yeah. oh, this is a cloud Why? of dust being uh, the bulldozer stirred up pushing. by a bulldozer. Is that truck going backwards? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That truck is in reverse and it's kicking up all the dust. Right. But it's not a giant cloud of dust. It is a... A uh, giant pile of tumbleweeds. A giant pile yeah. of thistle. And much, and much like trying to scoop up a pile of dust, the people saying that have to that are having to deal with all of these tumbleweeds are saying it's a total pain in the ass because you start pushing them. As soon as the pile gets big enough, they just roll over your truck. Mm-hmm. Oh. And they just go all... And then wind picks up and blows them all over the place. So again. then you just... You actually create one giant like Voltron style tumbleweed. Yeah. Because it's a super tumbleweed. Ooh. Well, what if something else gets involved with the tumbleweed? Because I have this video I got to show you guys. So here's some guys at the Rocky Mountain Arsenal, they're doing a 150-acre controlled burn. Oh, okay, because I, I was just about to say that. I'm like, well, you just it's all dry as shit. Yeah. Just light a match. Poof. So Tumbleweed problem solved. Right. So everybody's going to have to go to, definitely to causticsodapodcast.com. This is in uh, Colorado. Okay. They're doing a 150-acre burn, uh-huh. and then a dust devil picks up. Oh, snap. And picks up oh, this, okay, this say, is 200 pretty awesome. tumbleweeds in the air all right like, yeah that's like all these t- <laughs> and that's the controlled burn behind there and it's now flying tumbleweeds which are dry desiccated plants through a controlled burn oh and it becomes snap. oh fire nato a oh, fucking fire tumbleweed NATO. fire nato you see the guy <laughs> running away with his camera oh yeah there's no longer any video oh uh, no no they, they finally the video get it comes back so you can see the the dust devil has moved over the actual burn <laughs> oh, now wow this and is pretty it is, amazing it feels like crazy cg out of like like some there, movie this tumbleweed is hundreds of feet in the air yeah Hundreds and of you feet. say tumbleweed, we mean like there are hundreds of them. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Just floating around. It's amazing. The only annoying thing about this video is he's put this super obnoxious, well, unless you love it, metal music over top of it. All right. I okay. actually want to hear the guys talking. I want to hear right. what's going on. Yeah. He's got this music over top. So, uh, wow, that is, that's pretty spectacular. Right. That's pretty awesome. Now, word is this did actually spread the fire that they were trying to keep controlled, but only one extra acre was burned because apparently these guys handled it exactly right. They kept their eye on it. They watched for where it would have spread. I believe at the end of this video, I'll jump ahead a little bit for you guys. You can actually, yeah, right over here in about three minutes. That a major dust devil kicks up right at the exact moment you're doing a controlled burn. Well, I would think the convection from the fire might make it more likely. We would need somebody who knows that stuff to know more. But here you 
can see this is where the fires jumped their controlled line. Right. And uh, it's just burning out of control. But they're moving towards it because they're firefighters and they know they have to deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's wild. Yeah, that guy this is, is walking very video. calmly. Yeah. That dude, it, it does it is literally going away from him. Yeah. The fire is just like <laughs> traveling. <laughs> That is there's all these, rad. All I these particles around the tornado that are kind of like smoldering and leaving yes. their own <laughs> yeah. trails. Yeah. yeah. I think definitely I'm going to have to get a screen capture of this for the feature image for droughts because oh, this is just too fantastic. Go watch the whole video, though. It's it is really, really great to see. outstanding. I love it. And uh, good work by those guys. Wow. Social impacts of droughts, health problems and deaths due to lack of food and water, of right. course. Health problems related to the dust. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Threats from increased forest and range fires and uh, migrations of populations away from drought-stricken areas. Right. There's an excellent example of this going on in Syria right now. Uh, Syria, I think Syria is not a drought. I think it's it's Gunzi related. It is. Uh-huh. But in 2006 to 2009, it was a drought. Uh-huh. And security experts around the world believed Syria was immune to the Arab Spring uprising because of how well the uh, country was being handled and the grip that... Bashar al-Assad had over it. Right. But in 2006 through 2009, Syria experienced the worst drought in modern times. Right. Uh, many people are saying this is because of global climate change. Yeah. As well, mismanagement and well rights being granted on political lines forced farmers to dig illegal wells, mm. and those who spoke out were tortured and imprisoned. Mm. 85% of livestock died. Oop. Wow. More than a million farmers lost their farms in the drought, and that caused an estimated 1.5 million to move from rural to urban centers in Syria. Uh-huh. This, in turn, added to social stresses that eventually, people are saying, resulted in the uprising against President Bashar al-Assad in March of 2011. Mm. Oh, so there's somebody out there who's claiming that drought caused the Syrian civil war. Well, it was a major factor. There were right. always people who were upset, but there was never enough unrest to cause them to rise up against this organized and crushing dictatorship, dictatorship really, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But once you've got 1.5 million unemployed, desperate, hungry, thirsty people living in your urban centers going, why is this not being taken care of? And every yeah. time they speak up, they get tortured and imprisoned. Things get worse. All right. All right. The United Nations estimates that 250,000 people have lost their lives in the Syrian civil war, and nearly 6 million people have been displaced. Over 3 million have fled to Syria's immediate neighbors. So that's, sorry, the, displa- the 6 million was internally displaced, meaning having to move around inside Syria because right. of the war right. and things. Brutal. All right, in the history. <laughs> There have been a lot of droughts in history. The thing is, there's pretty much a drought going on somewhere in the world at any time. Yeah. Like, because just with the way that the weather fluctuates. Let's go through all of them, starting with the first one. There's no way I'm going to do that. Please don't tell me. I can't believe you didn't mention. Just say, here's a great one. Uh, Yeah. India actually got hit by two famines in a row from 1896 to 1902. Oh my God, how do you know oh, when wow. one famine be- starts and the and other one ends? Well, because they know... You get, the... you get like two days of rain in between them. Oh, I see. Kind, kind of, Kind of yeah. like a comma. <laughs> it's basically a comma in a run-on sentence. Yeah. Right. Well, in both 1895 and 1899, the summer monsoons in India failed to bring much moisture, mm, uh, which meant the next two years after they what had droughts. What is the point of a monsoon without moisture? Well, that's... It's a that's a failed monsoon. Yeah, that's a well. You know, I mean, uh, it's no such thing as a failed monsoon, just like failed expectations. These two devastating famines led to six million to nineteen million deaths. Oi, oi, oi! And you know, they were less monsoon and more mon later. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
this is one of the ones where there are stories that in some area grain exports continued despite droughts hitting production. Okay. So that there were just port cities that their people were starving, but their ships were just carting off grain to other places. Right. <sighs> classic. The, that's uh, what we call. That's what we call classic. Yeah. All the classic. farmers were yeah. were like monsoon <laughs> and they're like no mon later mon much later <laughs> yeah this is uh you know you got uh you know uh, uh new coke and coke classic mm-hmm. this is you know famine and famine classic oh mm-hmm. in 1942 in china uh in the middle of world war ii where they're being occupied by japan mm-hmm. the spring and summer rains failed causing drought leading to grain shortages Despite this, both the Chinese and then occupying Japanese forces continued their grain requisition policies. What does that mean? Right. Uh, so being armies, they would demand that the farmers would give them a certain m- amount of grain right. all the time in order to keep their armies fed. Yeah. Okay. Both the, the national uh, Chinese and the uh, invading Japanese and the yeah. occupying Japanese just said, I don't care if you're hungry, keep giving us the same amount of food. Yeah. However, in communist control areas, the authorities did reduce the grain quotas for those most affected by the drought, and Mao Zedong exploited this for propaganda purposes to portray his government as more benevolent than the nationalist government. Of course. But it's not hard to be more benevolent than Mm -hmm. Imperial Japan in 1942. (laughs) Totally. It's very difficult. That is a very low bar. I don't think he had to convince anybody in China that he was better than them. Yeah. Uh, So this actually became a super effective... uh, an obvious point of comparison when people compare the two Mm -hmm. sides. Uh, However, it is noted the communists were able to do this because they didn't have an actual standing army, but instead survived on guerrilla warfare, which meant they didn't need to have that kind of incoming food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls don't eat grain, they eat bananas. There you go. I am. No (laughs) bananas. As we all know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the estimated death toll of that is two to three million people. Uh, Ah, they got plenty. (laughs) 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 The Great Chinese Famine in 1950, from 1959 to 1962 happened, not even 17 years later. It's great. Uh, so Mao Zedong gets in, and he decides to do his great leap forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I'm, mm-hmm. I'm we gonna, talked about before. Yeah, we talked about before. I think that's Olympics training, right? It's like for that... The great uh, leap forward. Yes. The great leap forward. It was like, uh, but let's win the Olympic long jump. The entire thing was all predicated on winning the Olympic long jump, yep. correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was exactly it. Right. Perfect. Uh, Several disastrous government policies of the Great Leap Forward were exacerbated by both floods and drought. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, well, because China's big. I guess it's a big country. It's a big country. You'd think, though, uh, like, if China were run by, say, Bugs Bunny, mm-hmm. yes. right? I mean, this would not be What's that hard back? to solve. You would have the flood coming in. They mm-hmm. would use some sort of, like, Rube Goldberg device to redirect it into the droughty area. Oh. <laughs> Why didn't yeah. Mao think of that? In 1960, an estimated 60% of agricultural land in northern China received no rain at all. For the entire year. For the entire year. Mm. Zero rain. Death tolls from this are estimated from the Chinese government's low of 15 million. That's much Mm. more than two to three. Yeah, Mm. up to 40 million deaths. Some people are even saying 45. I chopped it off at 40 because nobody else seems to agree with them. Right. Okay. Well, that seems like a lot of people. In the I'm er- pulling back on my they got plenty comment. <laughs> that seems a like a lot. Bit. That seems like a lot. Nobody has that many plenty. Uh, we've also got Los Angeles. In the late 19th century, Los Angeles started to outgrow its water supply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Fred Eaton, mayor of Los Angeles, realized that water could flow from Owens Valley to Los Angeles via an, an aqueduct. Ooh, uh, aqueduct. His, uh, his vice mayor was uh, um, uh, Bob Drinken. 
Eating and drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fred eating and Bob drinking. Mm-hmm. That's right. Bob drinking was the one who really what wanted about, that aqueduct for that water. Yeah. What about Phil Poopin? <laughs> uh, yeah, his middle name, uh, Bull. <laughs> yeah. The aqueduct construction was overseen by William Mulholland, okay. a name people might recognize. Mulholland yeah. Drive? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, was finished, and was finished in 1913. Mm-hmm. The water rights were acquired through political fighting psh, and, psh, as described psh, psh. by one author, chicanery, Ooh. subterfuge, and a strategy of lies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And lots of people made tons of money. Yes, there through. was so much money over over this. Uh, since 1913, the Owens River had been di- diverted to Los Angeles, causing the ruin of oh. the valley's economy. Mm-hmm. Which valley? The Owens Valley. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. By the 1920s, so much water because was... uh, because L.A. be borrowing, and the Valley be Owen. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Borrowing. By the 1920s, so much water was diverted from the Owens Valley that agriculture became difficult. <sighs> this led to farmers trying to destroy the aqueduct oh, in yeah. 1924. Burn right. it down, crush it. Now. Well, it's hard to burn an, uh, a uh, an aqueduct full of water. Mm. Yeah, that's difficult. It's not easy to burn. Poke a hole in it. Yeah, maybe. At the source. Pop the water balloon. The rage further intensified in May of 1924 when Los Angeles filed a suit accusing some of the Valley's farmers of wrongfully Mm. diverting water into their irrigation ditches. Right. Right. Ten days later, the farmers answered the suit with dynamite. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Kablooey. All right. I'll I'll illegally divert this. (laughs) Yeah. They blew up a spillway gate near Lone Pine. I don't know where that is. Then it became a... Then it became lots of pine. Uh, uh, no, it became a... They blew up the spillway. Uh-huh. It became a very spillway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they blew up the spillway, but there was a lone pine, and it, you know, now you have plenty of water. Used to be twin pines, for, yeah. but then Marty McFly... <laughs> yeah, I got it. Blew it up. Washed that one off. By going back in time. Six months later, in their most publicized move between 60 and 100 Owens Valley men took over the Aqueduct's Alabama gates. Oh, a coup. A diversion channel valve uh, head about 10 miles south of Independence. They opened the floodgates, emptying the water onto the dry bed of Owens Lake and stood guard for four days before departing, feeling that their point was made. Okay. Mm, Yep. I was like, nope, our water. Then came an unexpected development. Oh. Mm-hmm. Unknown to anyone else in the valley, Wilfred Waterson and his brother Mark. Oh, l- you think you think he got into the water business because his last name Waterson's was Waterson? Waterson, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. that's finally how he, maybe he was just there, Wilfred and Mark, and then they finally gave themselves last names. Oh, okay. I don't All know. Right. They were orphans. Sure. Without last names. <laughs> they got into the water business and were like, oh, we're Mr. and Mr. Waterson. Waterson. Yeah. They were leaders in the water war against Los Angeles. Unknown to anyone else, they had been diverting bank funds to shore up their crumbling enterprises. Uh Their thefts were revealed during a routine audit, and the two were charged in August of 1927 with embezzling $450,000. Whoa, that seems like a lot of money in 1927. In 1927. Let me do the thing. I haven't... Let's... uh, 1927. Wow. Uh, Almost $6 million. That is almost $6 million. Adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation. Wow, that's a lot of money. Following the Waterson conviction, attacks on the Los Angeles aqueduct ceased for several years, though the L.A. Times does have an article uh, in 1931 describing some later attacks, okay. including uh, this photo uh-huh. where the explosion caused a pipeline to implode, Oh, and we've got a guy walking down the imploded pipeline. I, it's pretty it, look, it looks amazing. like the pipe is like made out of canvas because yeah. it's so like warped and kind of like wavy. Yeah. So it doesn't look like metal and rivets. Nope. So that's a good explosion. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. These are the guys. This is also a photo of the guys who were uh, standing guard for four days over that uh, valve. Dry that they flower opened bed? Up. Yeah. That's, flower bed. Yeah. Dry river bed. 
Uh, also, I'm, I'm not pulling much from this because it's just a good article to read. Vogue.com has this amazing article about Owens Lake that is covered with just beautiful looping animated video oh, flying yeah. over the lake. I went and checked this out and the video is, uh, the article, okay, go ahead and read the article if you it's, want. It's good. It's sort of, uh, you know, kind of just touches on what um, Joe just talked about in that story. Yeah. But the photography is spectacular and and as a web person this web layout that they use where it's just oh, yeah. big beautiful images and then text and then big beautiful animated images is oh, yeah. wonderful i absolutely it's love great. this yeah people should definitely check this out it's so you real can cool see there's like a this has actually got a little tiny bit of water left in it and what's left there has bacteria in it that's making it look blood red yeah like uh, his blood yeah. like yeah vampire central there are also some beautiful orange looking salt flats uh, mm -hmm. orange and white color some of the colors are kind of amazing like uh this is the remains of the initial riveted pipeline. There are brand new ones now because, of course, they've tried this out. Uh, and then there's huge fields of hay bales that are or there. Or a.k.a. future tumbleweed. Future tu well, uh. the hope is that they'll just sit there and stop all the soil from being eroded because they'll baffle the wind going through there. That's what this field of hay bales Crazy. is for is and this used to be a lake this used to be a lake oh, a lake be. so big and so full of water that la said yeah that's where we'll get our water from forever uh -huh. lake karachay russia uh -huh. 1968 Ooh, a specific year mm -hmm. so the lake didn't exist before 1968 yeah 1968 boom <clears throat> came in lake there it is bam yeah now we mentioned uh the krish the kishtim disaster right. of 1957 in yep. Nuclear Disasters Part Deux. Okay. All right. The nearby Lake Karache was a convenient dumping ground for massive levels of high-level radioactive waste that was too hot, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. to yep. store in Mayak facilities underground storage vats. So not necessarily physically hot, but like hot in a radioactive Radioactively sense. hot. Right. Yeah, yeah. Originally, the plan was to use the lake to store the waste until it could be returned to the Mayak facility's underground concrete storage vats. Right. But this proved impossible due to the level of radioactivity, which was extraordinarily lethal. Okay, all right. <laughs> Not just regular lethal. Well, how did they Not get Not just it? ordinarily lethal. How did they get it there if it was extraordinarily lethal? My guess is it wasn't that bad, but then, like, it just accumulated oh, tons and tons. So when you, like, say you take a thimbleful yeah. of uh, radioactive material and dump it in there until you have, you know, a dump truck full. Yep. And then you're like, oh, no, this is much more extraordinarily lethal than we mm. ever thought possible. Because we were only dumping it in a thimble at a time. Engineers decided this was a relatively safe because the lake mm. had no surface outlets. How come you didn't air quote relatively safe? Like, you air quoted hot he kind of did, verbally. It, I thought he did. It seems like, you know, questionable judgment. My fingers are tired. Oh, no. Oh, no. Starting in the 1960s, the lake began to dry out. Because it's, of the radioactivity? And, uh, just because of regular oh, drought. Oh, regular drought. Got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Its area dropped from one half square kilometer in 1951 to 0 0.15 square kilometers. Oh, that's a lot less. By the end of 1993. Got it. In 1968, following a drought in the region, the wind carried 185 petabequerels. Mm -hmm. That's five million curies. Yeah. For oh, those uh, of you in America, I don't uh -huh. know. I, I actually have what a curie is. A curie is, is the radioactivity of one gram of radium-226. Right. So five million curies is the same as the radioactivity of five tons of radium-226. Okay. Oh, when you said five million grams, I thought you were talking about five million grandmothers. 
grams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five million grandma curies. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. That that's the equivalent of having five million grandmothers coming over for tea. Is pretty radio. My my grandma is pretty radioactive. Oh, nice. Five million curies of radioactive dust over nine hundred miles from the dried area of the lake. That's what the wind carried. Right. Irradiating half a million people. Oh wow! What? Oh no! Yeah. In Russia. Oh. Which is why we don't have any details. No, they got plenty because it's Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between 1978 and 1986, the lake was filled with almost 10,000 hollow concrete blocks to prevent sediments from shifting. Okay. All right. I guess the engineers know more about this than I do. In 68, the wind radiated uh, a five, half a million half people, people, people with yeah, like okay. five tons of radium, the yeah. equivalent of, mm-hmm. which uh, is bad. And it took them 10 years before they just started pouring concrete into the lake to try and make everything stay there. Ah, you know, and just start pouring concrete into anything. You got a problem? Concrete to solve it. Torn, were, name a problem you got. Uh, concrete. My pants, my pants. Oh. Just put concrete in them. <laughs> okay. All right? Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Joe, problem? Name a problem. Any problem? Money. Concrete. Sell concrete. Yep. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Pour concrete in the in the bank. No. Pour concrete in the uh, businesses of all the people you owe money to so they cannot get out and collect. Okay. okay. Concrete? Sure. Solve your problem. Mm. What was your pants problem again? Oh, I got a hole. I got a hole in my pants. Mm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this writes itself. Concrete <laughs> solves that. No problem. Yeah. Is it a crotch hole problem? That might be No, a it's a pocket. The, oh, my wow. keys are always poking out of them. Oh, well, at least, you know, hole. crotch hole, I was thinking, okay, there might be some chaffage for solving a crotch hole problem with concrete. But Can I buy a, pair, a new pair of pants with concrete? Uh, no, but you can like, you know, um, uh, you can trade a bag of dry concrete, Mm. you know, for pants, for equivalent value pants. Right. The radiation level in the region near where radioactive effluent is discharged in the lake was, uh, sufficient to give a lethal dose to a human within an hour. Oh. Uh, So that's like right at the lake where it's, where they're just dumping it in. If you stood there in an hour, if you stood there for one hour, you would die. Yep. Got to put on your Mm. power armor. Mm. Your... I, I, I don't like anything that kills me in an hour. Kindness. That won't kill you in an hour. No. no my, that, my... that kills you over the course of a lifetime. So kind. So kind to uh, Kevin. No. <laughs> Is that, oh, that's why you're so kind to me? Yeah. You're trying to kill me? Yeah. With kindness. Oh, wow. I, I brought you this cake. I thought you were just being kind. No, that has been Torin's strategy since as long as I've known him. I remember once specifically, you bought a friend of ours a pack of smokes and said, smoke them up, die. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So giving. So you are the world's like uh, cuddliest hitman. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and slowest, go. though. And slowest. <laughs> Cakes, yeah, okay. cigarettes, and hugs. That's yeah, how I yeah. count. The mob I'm... comes and hires you, and you, you're like, okay, I'll get this done 30, 40 years max. That guy is going to so get that lung guy, cancer. When, yeah. What kind of timeline are you on? I hope it's three decades. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the 1987 to 1989 U.S. drought. This drought covered 36% of the United States at its peak, mm-hmm. compared to the 70% coverage of the Dust Bowl drought. Mm-hmm. What? However, the 1980s drought was not only the costliest in U.S. history, but also the most expensive natural disaster of any kind to affect the U.S. I lived through the 1980s. I, yeah. Yep. I remember Robocop, but I don't remember this drought. Well, because we didn't live in the U.S. <laughs> Those are the oh. only two things but you, you remember? remember? You remember hearing about like just wildfires all over California no. during the... Okay. Is Robocop the only well, thing you remember from the 80s? Pee Herman. Robocop Cindy Lauper. Herman. Cindy Lauper. Okay. All right. Wow. They're all, they're flying fast and furious now. Yeah. Those are the three things I remember from, from the eighties. Got it. 
Combining the losses in energy, water, ecosystems, and agriculture, the total cost of the three-year drought was estimated at $39 billion. That's 1980s money. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not really correct for inflation for us, per se, but... You know, it probably, it, you know, it was even more money than those uh, those Watterson brothers took out of the bank. Yep. 70, 76. Wow. wow. Okay. That would be 76 like billion. Twice, twice as much. Almost Ooh. exactly twice. Wow. The drought beginning along the West Coast and extending into the northwestern U.S. had its greatest impact in the northern Great Plains. This drought affected much of the nation's primary corn and soybean growing areas mm, where total pre- corn. Where total precipitation for April through <laughs> you June. You said corn, but I said soybean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's why we're a good team, Tarn. That's right. Now you know who's eating what. Yeah, totally. Whereas me, I would be like, give me both, and then we'd have to fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So corn. Total precipitation for April through June of 1988 was even lower than during the Dust Bowl. Mm. Wow. Mm. Okay. And as noted uh, by Kevin earlier, that uh, barge problems uh, were occurring in the Mississippi River Basin because of low river levels. You just got to get smaller barges. I got 99 problems, smaller but barge barges. ain't one. Yeah. Uh, the summer of 1988 is well known for the extensive forest fires that burned across western North America, including mm. the catastrophic Yellowstone oh, fire. Oh, the catastrophic Yellowstone fire. I think fire. we might have mentioned in wildfires, but I'm not sure. So when I put up the uh, request for input, Dr. Katie gave right. me a really good one, which is uh, we've talked about animals that are adapted to dry environments in our got deserts it. episode. We yep. got a little list of a bunch of those. Dr. Katie, who's been on a couple of our episodes, has uh, given me a really cool one here. The... Polypodilum vanderplanki, mm-hmm. or the sleeping chironomid. Ooh, chironomid. Mm. Well, uh, it's a fly from the chironomidae, which is non-biting midges family. Okay. Well, they must bite something. Well, it, wait, it, I, the non-biting midge is from Archie Comics. That was Moose's girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. She just nibbled. Yep. Moose sure liked it. Mm-hmm. They were a happy couple, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Moose and midge got along great. Oh, ignorance is if bliss. I don't know. I see them as communicating a lot. They always knew. Anyway, the, <laughs> this occurs in the semi-arid regions of the African continent in northern Nigeria and Uganda specifically. Mm-hmm. Its larvae are found in small tubular nests in the mud at the bottom of temporary pools that frequently dry out during the lifetime of the larva. Mm-hmm. Under these conditions, the P. van der Planckei larva's body desiccates to as Ooh. low as 3% water content by weight. Mm, okay. Like a tardigrade. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In this dehydrated state, the larva becomes impervious to many extreme environmental mm-hmm. conditions, mm-hmm. Right. can survive temperatures from 3 Kelvin, that's 3 degrees Celsius above absolute zero, Ooh. up to what? 375 Kelvin, which is, uh, over, I think it's almost boiling, yeah. uh, very high 7,000 gray levels of gamma rays and Ooh. exposure to vacuum. Sure. What? Okay. This becomes okay. like a a a super survivor. Some kind of extremophile. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like this is like an Iron Man suit. So I've got two pictures oh. here. Here's one of it just normal. Uh-huh. That's, you know, it looks like a little fly bug larva thing, you know. Got it's it. probably going to have its wings pop out. Mm-hmm. Here it is dried out. It looks like a little it looks like a penis cr- sausage. Crystal. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> penis sausage. I'll take that. P. vanderplanki is one of few metazoans that can withstand near-complete desiccation. Metazoans. P. P. vanderplanki sounds like a, a you know R and B star, right? He's like <laughs> you know P. vanderplanki featuring Luther Vandross, yes. right? Yeah. They can persist in this dormant state, which is similar to a very deep sleep, for up to seventeen years. It's a long time. Oh, wow. Now say- a metazoan is uh-huh. a zone that's made out of other zones. I actually think that's what that means because metazoan means animal. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what a zone is, but we also have protozoan. We do. Uh-huh. So I'm guessing, I don't know, zone. No. 
Uh, but uh, you know, seventeen years, we could like send these things into space to like colonize for us. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Well, they can survive vacuum, uh, low temperature, radiation. I mean, they're set for space for sure. Wow, uh, that's how they got here. The uh, species is considered the most cold tolerant insect species, uh-huh. able to survive liquid helium of up to minus two hundred seventy Celsius. That's the three Kelvin that we talked about right. before. Oh. Uh, exposure for up to five minutes with a 100% survival rate when desiccated to 8% water content. Right. So as long as they desiccate themselves to 8% or less, you can just throw them in liquid hydrogen for five minutes and they'll come out and they'll be fine. 100%, every single one. Oh, That's right. how tolerant Liquid helium. Are. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. But there not is for that, me. Like, not for me. I'm not P. Vanderplank. Oh, don't throw you don't in Don't throw me in liquid helium. But what would you look like desiccated? I mean, these look like kind of a little like... Let's find out in a, in a few years. Oh, are you yeah. planning on desiccating yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm sure Mother Nature will do it for me. Oh, you're, you're talking about, you know... Uh, Just leave me out in the desert. Uh, a little fence around so the coyotes don't get me. Okay. <laughs> coyotes are the only thing in the desert that you're worried about? Oh, those uh, um, Gila monsters. I'm impatient, though. Can't I just drain all the liquid out of your body with, like, you know, knives? Yeah, like, put you in, like, a kiln or something? All right. Really, like, kind oh, of kiln. Husky. Or just, like, a dehydrator. You get one of those <laughs> oh, yeah, fruit yeah. or meat dehydrators. Yeah, that's just right. Just a, a man-sized one. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, usually Make use Make a torn jerky. Yeah, you usually use it for beef jerky. You use it for torn jerky. You are kind of a jerky. <laughs> yeah, you're a jerky <laughs> yeah. already. So you're... you're, you're if I wasn't jerky enough. <laughs> yeah, your body will match your personality now. Finally! Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're jerky on jerky.
in the news. <laughs> Founded in 1607 in the midst of one of the worst regional droughts in centuries, Virginia's Jamestown Colony okay. had it rough from the start. Oh, okay. This is the one that was in uh, Guatemala and uh, had that charismatic leader that made them all drink the Kool-Aid. In 1607, right? That's Jonestown. Uh, this is Jamestown. No. Founded by the brother of Jones. Oh. D- d- James. John Jones, Jones was his first name. Yeah. Uh, John Jones, the Martian man. Uh, yes, John yeah. Jones. <laughs> That's so dumb. Uh, it didn't help that many settlers weren't used to hard agricultural labor. Right. Mm-hmm. Resulting in the colonists becoming dependent on supplies brought by subsequent missions. All right. As well as trade with Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Of the 104 initial colonists, only 39 survived the brutal first nine months. Oh, dude. Oh, oh. They should have had more babies. They should have all got pregnant on day one. Then we oh, had yeah. another 39. Yeah. So they could eat be... those babies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they, uh, they, they would have at least had 78. And they so all the, got knocked up. And so that several of the women who survived in that 39 would have died in childbirth instead. Yeah. You know, I mean, at least then you, those, you, you might end up with a baby too. at the end of it. <laughs> By the winter of 1609, extreme drought, hostile relations with members of the local Powhatan Confederacy of Tribes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the fact that a supply ship was lost at sea oh, mm. put the colonists in a truly desperate position. Yeah, okay. George Percy. Oh, president. he really, really Percyed up that Percy. President of Jamestown during this starving time, uh, quote unquote, okay. right. wrote a letter 16 years later. Describing the colonists' plight during that terrible winter. Oh, and, and 16 years later, the first thing he wrote was, uh, on day one, I died from drought. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and uh, and then I came back as a zombie, and I'm writing this. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. This is what he wrote. All right, let's hear it. Now all of us at the Jamestown beginning to feel the sharp prick of hunger. Oh, uh, hunger is a sharp prick. I always figured it would be a dull ache. Yeah, it, well, maybe once it gets really bad, it becomes a sharp prick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Which no man truly described, but which he hath tasted the bitterness thereof. Mm. Oh, it's a bitter prick. A word. Oh, so wait. So At least torn, there's a flavor. So torn is starvation. He's quite the bitter prick. Of I have a bit. Yes. Yeah. A worldie of miseries ensued uh-huh. as the sequel will express unto Yao... I think that's you. You. Uh, this is what's great is I'm going to put a link up to this letter. It's in total old timey. I don't know how to spell all these words, so I'm just putting it out so that when you read it out loud, you'll know what I'm saying. Kind of writing. It's right. great. In so much that some to satisfy their hunger have robbed the store for which I caused them to be executed. Oh, so so <laughs> yeah. So some of the hundred and four. Yeah. We're not starved from drought, but merely executed for stealing food. Well, this is yeah. 1609. This is later. So it was 1607, 104 came over, and 39 of them survived. Ah, I see. More ships kept coming. Okay. Despite right. drought and death. And death and starvation. Yeah. Then, having fed upon our horses and other beasts as long as they lasted, we were glad to make shift with vermin as dogs, cats, rats, and mice all was fish that came to net to satisfy cruel hunger. Okay, here's I, 
I like the fact how the times have changed between 1609 and 2016 because he lumps in cats and dogs with, with vermin. vermin. Yeah, yeah. That they're they seem more of a nuisance than uh, uh, a help or of any variety. They, was, although the people in this could probably have used an emotional support animal. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. As to eat boots, shoes, or any other leather, some cold come by, and those binge, being being spent yeah. and devoured, some were enforced to search the woods and to feed upon serpents and snakes. And Ooh. to dig the earth for wild and unknown roots, oh, okay. where many other men were cut off and slain by savages. Oh, which, there you go. Which he spells salvages. Yeah, salvages. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they're eating the cats, they're eating the dogs, yep. they're eating the they're mice rats, and the fish, and the, they're eating their boots and their shoes. And the snakes. And, and then, then they're eating the snakes and, and roots. unknown roots. And, then and the, while they're looking for all this, the natives are like, fuck you, white people, yeah. and attacking them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, famine beginning to look ghastly and pale in every face, <laughs> that nothing was spared to maintain life and to do those things which seem incredible, uh-huh. as to dig up dead corpses out of graves and eat them. I mean, really, truly, if you're going to commit cannibalism... Yeah. Eat them fresh. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> don't bury them first. Like, I'm guessing human bodies don't get better with age, you know? Well, like a cheese or a wine? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, you don't know. You don't know. Or a truffle. You know, something else yeah. that you might bury, like a hundred-year egg or whatever, right? Yeah. These things are not... People don't become delicacies. And some have licked up the blood which hath fallen from their weak fellows. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. amongst the rest... This was most lamentable. Most well, uh, compared to all the rest of that. Wait, wait, we haven't even got to the most lamentable part. That one. Oh, wait, let me guess. Yeah, let me, okay. uh, he wasn't actually. You'd mispronounced it because of the old timey writing. He wasn't talking about anything that was lamentable. He was talking about amen table because they had so much food at uh, the end of this man. that they give thanks to yes. god because there's a there's a bounty a cornucopia yeah. about to be be spoken of here i don't think he would thank god for this cornucopia uh, that one of our colleen i guess one of the colonists mm-hmm. one of our colleen murdered his wife oh ripped the childy out from her wombie Bo-bee, and bo. threw it into the river and after Chopped the mother in pieces and salted her for his food. Why did he throw the baby in the yeah, river? Just, I don't know. You know, if you have fresh baby, if you're going to chop your wife up and salt her for food, why throw out the baby? Yeah. Why throw the baby out with the bathwater here? Like, <laughs> I mean, this this really is. He's obviously lost his mind from hunger. I would think so. Yeah. yeah. The same, not being discovered before he had eaten part thereof. I see. For the witch. Cruel and inhumane fact, I adjudged him to be executed. Ah, oh, well, there you go. The acknowledgement of the deed being enforced from him by torture, having hung by the thumbs with weights at his feet a quarter of an hour before he would confess the same. Ah, I see. So it took him 15, <laughs> 15 minutes to confess yeah. that he murdered and ate his wife. Yeah. And threw his baby in the river. And so they executed and then they ate him. Oh, uh, yeah, see? <laughs> see, that's right. You changed the law so you can eat, uh, execute criminals. I, yeah. Maybe they did. We don't know. Uh-huh. 
Are well, we, they were digging up dead bodies so, and eating them. Well, so so there wasn't no any, crime in that. There wasn't any evidence of this except for this letter written 16 years later and right. just stories. Uh-huh. However, a recent excavation at the historic site has unearthed more than torture-drawn confessions. All right. The carcasses of dogs, cats, and horses, and evidence of the dismemberment and cannibalization mm-hmm. of a 14-year-old English girl. Oh, nice. Ooh. The chops at her forehead are very tentative, very incomplete, says Douglas Owsley, the Smithsonian forensic anthropologist who analyzed the bones. And evidently two, a three-pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> Talks like a ghoul from Fallout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then the body was turned over, and there were four strikes to the back of the head one of which was the strongest to split the skull in half. A penetrating wound was then made to the left temple, probably by a single-sided knife, uh, which was used to pry open the head and remove the brain. Oh, do you think for eating or just to, like, you know, they made sure she was dead? Given these bones in a trash pit, all cut and cut up and chopped, uh, it's clear that this body was dismembered for consumption. Right. Uh-huh. The girl's remains were discovered. And in, you mean by that tuberculosis? She had tuberculosis. She had the consumption? So her brain had to go. Consumption, consumption. Yeah. Uh, we might, what's your somebody function? might catch this. We better eat it. Yeah, precisely. The girl's remains were discovered in a deposit of refuse that contained butchered horse and dog bones. Mm-hmm. This was only done in times of extreme hunger. Yeah. Cut marks on the jaw, face, and forehead of the skull, along with those of the shin bone, are telltale signs of cannibalism. The clear intent was to remove the facial tissue and the brain for consumption. Uh, These people were in dire circumstances. Okay, if you had to eat somebody's face, <laughs> right? You know, if you had to eat somebody's face to stay alive, which part would you start with? Or which part would you like, um, I'm never eating that part of the face? Oh. Mm. Which do you think would be the most delectable? Well, which do you think would be the most? Well, the eyes aren't least? included, are they? Because they're, like, they're, they're behind know. the face. Are you talking head or face? I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I'll, throw, I, I'll throw eyeballs in. Sure. Like, they're all part of the structure, right? You know, oh, you gotta, gotta eat face. the eyes first because you don't want them looking at you for the oh, rest of the yes, meal. Oh, yes, you gotta suck them right out of there. I just... think the tenderest, softest is definitely gonna be the jowls. Oh, the yep. cheeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those cheeks are just gonna mm-hmm. be... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, those jowly 14-year-old girls uh, who've, been, <laughs> who've been starving for like two years. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I, I save the eyebrows for last because that's just gross. Oh, 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 you can shave. You can shave your your meal. You don't have to like eat the eat the follicles. Oh, gotta, I guess you can pluck out the eyebrows. Uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I would. Uh, the, the, the eyes are just gonna be too gelatinous. I don't. I'm, mm. I'm not down with. It. I don't like cheesecake. I don't think I'm gonna like eyeballs. Uh, I think. Uh, I think. I think. You know what? Most delectable lips. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. soft. Yeah. Oh yeah, you kiss your meal before you eat it. I don't want to get to know my meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially it's funny, not that ironic way. that she was uh, on her birth certificate was uh, Meat Jones. Meat, meat Johnson. Jones. Meat Johnson. The person that was doing this was not experienced and did not know how to butcher an animal. Instead, we see hesitancy, trial, tentativeness, and a total lack of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to the to... complete uh, <laughs> experience in cannibalizing people? I think they mean in just, you know, butchering, butchering. Oh, okay. animals yeah. for eating. There was no evidence of murder. Right. But no right. evidence that it wasn't murder. The identity of whoever consumed her is entirely unknown, and there might have been multiple cannibals involved. Right. Because the cut marks on her shin indicate a more skilled butcher than whoever dismembered her head. Well, maybe they learned. They right. started at the top, oh, yeah. and they went. <laughs> they right oh, down. now I'm getting the hang of it. That's right. Now that I'm at the shins. F- face for breakfast. Yeah, you work your way down to the feet. Yeah, that's right, groin for lunch. It appears that her brain, tongue, cheeks, and leg muscles were eaten, 
with the brain likely eaten first because it decomposes so quickly after death. Mm. Mm. Owsley speculates that this particular Jamestown body belonged to a child who likely arrived in the colony during 1609 on one of the resupply ships. Mm -hmm. She was either a maidservant or the child of a gentleman. And due to the high-protein diet indicated by his team's analysts of her bones, he suspects the latter. Right. Yeah. Got it. Uh, kind of impressive what they can figure out from just a bunch of bones now with yeah. the analysis they well, can do. High-protein. Theory. Diet and the butchering and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I would love to get Douglas Owsley on this show because mm. he's a forensic anthropologist and appears to be really good at figuring out how people died. Mm, cool. California, as we've noted a few times, is going through a drought. Yeah. Uh, I know this is a podcast, but I'm going to put this link up. I'll mention it briefly. BuzzFeed, normally full of kind of useless clickbait, has this fantastic uh, California before and after drought images. Okay. So what they've done is they've taken cool. these images from, I believe, 2011 and mm-hmm. 2014 from as close to the same angle as they can get, and they've overlaid them with this cool little back and forth slider. So I'm going to just oh, directly link I've seen that link back and forth slider on another website. Yeah, it's pretty cool um that uh, they, they've got a website about like vancouver then and now kind of thing right. it's like 100 year old photos then yeah now from the same angle so so here's so this is a three-year difference this is a three-year difference july 20th 2011 versus august 19th 2014 unless otherwise specified in these images we're not going to go through all them on the podcast because you guys can't see them but i just want you guys to see this difference okay i know that the shot's from a bit of a different angle but just look at the shoreline and yep. look at the bridge uh-huh whoa three years that's Lake Oroville. So Lake Oroville looks now like in parts of it a creek. Yeah. Mm. And then maybe a slightly wider river. It's not really a lake anymore. Yeah. Like it's very, very odd. Also California, August 2015. Mm. Do you remember hearing about the shade balls? This went viral shade for a little balls? while. Yes. I, there yeah. was video of them pouring uh, black balls 20, into bodies 000. of water yeah. to oh. prevent... Uh, um, the sun evaporation? from evaporating the right. the water okay. that the these black balls would reflect the sunlight or protect the water. Well, from... they would make it so that I mean, when it evaporates, it has to evaporate up into the air. But if you cover it with all these floaty balls, there's not as much surface area right okay. there. So it, it's it. supposed to prevent evaporation. Okay. At least that's what Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti said when he held his press conference to and helped release twenty thousand balls into the LA Reservoir. It was right. really they just had all these extra balls and they didn't know what to do with it. Well, no, they've actually been doing this since two thousand and eight. Okay. Mayor Garcetti claimed that this would help uh, prevent the evaporation to the tune of 300 million gallons of water per year. Okay. Well, that's a lot. That is not untrue. That is totally true. Oh, okay. However, Mm -hmm. 300 million gallons of water is worth about $2 million. Okay. The cost of the 400,000 shade balls is $34.5 million. Well, there's a difference. Okay, but. Yeah. But. Yeah. But. Yeah. If the shade balls just stay in year after year after year... And then they mm-hmm. save $2 million worth of water every year. You'll make year. your money back in how many years? 17 years. A little okay. more. Eight, 18, you'll finally get profit. Yeah. Right. However, they weren't created for that. Oh. The reason for this is that the shade balls weren't created to fight evaporation, but to shield open water reservoirs from sunlight, thus preventing the formation of the carcinogen bromate. Oh. The oh, drought what? fighting... What? Wait a minute. You're saying the sun hits water and yeah. bromate is created? So uh, uh. water in reservoirs has a couple of chemicals in it that uh. can lead to bromate and other bad oh, things. Okay. But this is this is some sort of frat prank, obviously. Nope. 
Well, so, there's totally no true. such thing as called bro mate. <laughs> so like, yo, they made it up. You're my like, bro oh, and my mate. You're my bro mate. That we can like, oh, it's it's bro mate, right, bro, bro, yeah, yeah, bro. And there was That's an Australian right, guy. There's the Australian <laughs> exchange student. He's like, yeah, bro, yeah, mate, yeah, bro, yeah, mate. And then they they came up with this. This is this is just like the UBC engineers putting the um, you know, the beetle on uh, on top of the Empire State Building or something. A bromate is anything that contains uh, the anion BRO3 mm. minus. Boring. And a frat boy and his Australian roommate. That's right. Bro cubed. Mm-hmm. So the drought, fighting, the drought fighting press release was simply a successful attempt at going viral. He basically said, hey, uh, this drought's really bad and we'd like to get some good press for it. Let's dump these balls that we've been dumping in there for sure. seven years sure. to fight carcinogen and point out that they'll kind of stop evaporation. That's fine. Right. You're not getting the full story. Right. They're not there for that. What it is, is you're it's... not by law allowed to have uncovered water reservoirs. Right. So these dump a whole bunch of these balls, which have, they're partly filled with water themselves so they don't just get blown away. Right. They'll float on top. They'll mush together as much as they can and they'll act as a cover for the water. Right. That's what they're for. Got it. Mm. So Society's to blame. There's blame going around? People yeah. pointing fingers? Yeah. I don't know. Well, we were, mostly. I did not know we were playing the blame <laughs> game. I win. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> it's not an actual game, Tori. No. Oh. There's no finish line in the blame game. Pop culture. All right. Well, I, we talked about it extensively in the course yeah. of this episode. And so one of my favorite films of all time, Chinatown. We talked about is, Chinatown extensively? No, we, we talked, about, we talked the, about the L.A. Water Wars. The L.A. Water Wars, oh. which is basically at the heart of the plot of Chinatown. Okay. Chinatown is a, it comes across like a film noir detective story. Mm-hmm. Just a very simple Sam Spade kind of gets hired by a femme fatale and like trying to figure out mm-hmm. some little mystery. But <clears throat> the rabbit warren it leads him down kind of uh, reveals a lot about the history of Los Angeles and about how, you know, underhanded and how you know despicable all the people were who were you know taking the own valley water and piping it into la with most people not really knowing about it until it was after kind of a fait accompli because there was lots of money to be made and land rights and water rights they're keeping it a pretty tight lid on it well then why is it called chinatown instead of own valley i'm not exactly sure why but at the very end of it the uh, writer just kind of walked away and they didn't like this happy ending that was going on. Uh-huh. And so uh, he, the uh, director, Polanski, yep. got together with Jack Nicholson and said, let's figure out a better ending to this that we can actually shoot. Yep. And they just came up with, uh, this is like, oh, well, we can't do anything. It's Chinatown. Despite yep. the fact none of it took place in Chinatown, there was no mention of Chinatown, they just went, ah, it's Chinatown. That was it, and that became the name of the movie. Yeah, well, it's the most famous line from the movie, yeah. too, right? against it. Yeah, you know, okay. it's sort of one of those things about... You know, Chinatown in the era, because, of course, it's set in the 40s and 50s yep. in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, the, uh, you know, the immigrant population and all that stuff. It was a bit of a mystery. Yeah. And you just like, it couldn't be explained. You okay. just had to like <laughs> wave it except off. For, except the Chinese. Yeah. Well, Chinese might understand it a bit. Jack Nicholson wasn't Chinese in this movie. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some trivia. The name of the water and power engineer, Hollis Mulray, is likely a play on the real-life head of the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, William Mulholland. Right. Uh, Hollis, yeah. Mulray. Hollis Mulray. Okay. William sure. Mulholland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they didn't really, like, heavily mask it. No. Mm-hmm. Once you understand, once you hear about the California Water Wars, I'm sure you see Chinatown, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. But it's a, it is a fantastically constructed piece of work. You got to really pay attention. You can't 
you know, take 10 minutes off on a bathroom break and just leave it running. You what? will uh, miss some pretty critical information. Oh, that no. means I'm probably never going to see it. Yeah. It's fantastic. You just bring leave a pee bucket by your That's seat. right. Bedpans. Yeah. You know, people have pause buttons torn. Don't be like you. <laughs> <laughs> jerky? Yeah, exactly. Jerky on jerky. And then there's the movie Rango, which is actually kind of based on Chinatown a little. It's got some Chinatown mm-hmm. hints in it. Right. Uh, after a car accident, pet chameleon Rango winds up in an old western town called Dirt. Yep. Mm-hmm. What this town needs the most is water, but they also need a hero and a sheriff. The uh-huh. thirsty Rango mm-hmm. instantly takes on the role of both and selfishly agrees to take on the case of their missing water. Why does mm-hmm. he selfishly agree to do that? Because he's thirsty. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, voiced by Johnny Depp, if I am yeah. correct, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, his, his only good role since Edward Scissorhands. Wow, wow. that's a bold statement. <laughs> that is, yeah, I don't he might know. have been wearing a funny hat during the voice records. Oh, I'm sure he was. Oh, yeah, I, I, he would have at least worn 17 scarves. The Chinatown Link is the mayor, voiced by Ned Beatty, is reminiscent of the character Noah Cross, played by John Huston in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. He even wears uh, the suspenders like Houston's character. And also, of course, the plot in Chinatown involves water and a shady scheme involving Cross, as it does the mayor in Rango. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So basically, those are kind of similarities going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Torn, you've seen the film The Grapes of Wrath? I did! Uh, this oh, yeah. film tells the story of the Jodes, an Oklahoma family who, after losing their farm during the Great Depression of the 1930s, right. with the, the drug Bowl going on, yep. and the Dust Bowl, they become migrant workers and end up in California. Yep. That, that was a common fate to uh, to Okies, as they would call them. Right. That's yep. right. Yeah. The local Okies. Immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we talked about this in the Ecoside episode. But if not, the most the thing I remember most about this movie is that it was long. Oh, um, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Uh, I've got some trivia for Grapes of Wrath. Uh, it was banned in the Soviet Union by Joseph Stalin. Because it was too to long. Because you didn't want to see... You had a problem with movies over 85 minutes long. Can you uh, guess why? No, because you didn't want people to see the portray- uh, portrayal of famine. And, and, and No, the actual, actually the opposite. He didn't want Russians knowing that even the poorest Americans could afford a car. Oh, I see. Can you imagine if everyone in Russia wanted a car? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they can run away from the wolves. <laughs> they need the wolves. To, they need the wolves to be able to catch humans to call the population. <laughs> yeah. And prior to filming, the producer Daryl F. Zanuck sent undercover investigators out to the migrant camps to see if John Steinbeck had ex- been exaggerating about the squalor and unfair treatment meted out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. When was this movie made? Uh, Nineteen forty. So, like ten years after, ten years later. Oh, like yeah, within ten years. Uh, yeah, so within ten years. You know, okay. it was all sure. you know. Yeah. Very contemporary. So you could get. First-hand reports. Yeah. yeah. He was horrified to discover that, if anything, Steinbeck had actually downplayed what went on in the camps. Yeah. He was like, were, oh, it's worse than you said. People were killing their wives, throwing their babies in the river, and eating them. Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> the novel's original ending was far too controversial to be even considered for a film in 1940. I don't know if many films would consider this today. Right. It involved rows of Sharon Rivers giving birth to a stillborn baby. Oh. oh that's and then offering... Depressing. And then offering her milk-filled breasts to a starving man dying in a barn. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sure. Well, that's you do it. You do it, Kevin, in one of your that's movies. That's a, you know, scales of justice thing, right? <laughs> Dead baby, you know, yeah. uh, starving You got man. all this boob milk. Yeah. There's a man dying in a barn. Save him. I'd give a man my moob, my, my moob milk. Well, you probably have boob <laughs> milk. You should try it. <laughs> 
It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startle to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while I slowly attached leeches to his body. To comment on episodes and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Support us at patreon.com slash causticsoda. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Gregory Milne. Thanks for listening. The carcasses of dogs, cats, and horcuses, and horcuses. That's a that's you know what. I applaud your efforts to shorten the English language. Uh, a dogcasis, a catcasis, a horcasis. Yeah. But at the exact same volume, if you go neener, she'll like, turn right around. It's the strangest thing. It's because she thinks it's a, an emergency siren. Yeah. Neener, neener.